Hello, I'm Joanna Lumley. I'm in my garden in London, and I'm walking down the garden path to the music room. In there, I'll find my husband, the composer and conductor, Stephen Barlow. Now, we've been married almost 40 years, and I think, however long you've been with someone, you have questions that you'd like to ask your partner. So this podcast is my chance to ask Stephen the questions I've always wanted to ask him about one of his and my greatest passions, classical music. Welcome to Joanna and the Maestro. Hello, Maestro. Welcome back to this episode of Joanna and the Maestro. And it's always me saying welcome, so would you like to say welcome, Maestro? Well, welcome, everybody. Um, That's your job. Well, okay, thank you. What I wanted to look at today was something that it's so familiar to all of us, which is national anthems. Now, sometimes there's a groan when the national anthem is played. In the old days, in cinemas and in theatres, you stood for the national anthem, which was played in this country, and then you sat down. Or or it's always played at the end, and you'd stay for the national anthem at the end. And this custom is completely worn away. And ours is very much, God save the king, and that's pretty much it. But that's only one way, because most recently, the adoption of using a national anthem in its literal sense, has really grown out of sports events. Yes. And it's become a custom in internationals, at rugby, for example. They're always introduced with the anthems of, of each country. Yeah. And I think the Welsh national anthem, I think that began with a match against New Zealand. And, of course, the New Zealanders do that fantastic... Haka. Haka, which was written by the Maoris of New Zealand. And it's absolutely gripping. And the Welsh answered as the hosts, because the host's anthem is always played second. It's the guest who's played first. The hacker is not so much an anthem as a... Well, it's a sort of dance and it's a chant, really, isn't yes, it? Yes, but its derivation is locked into... Identity. I, y- yes, but sort of facing up to yeah. enemies. Land of My Fathers, which is the Welsh national anthem, which they would have sung back again. It's slightly difficult here. National anthems are for the country. Yeah. And I think one finds that there are two distinct types. Some countries have their national anthem legally ratified. So it is by law the anthem. In this country, ours is not. Ours is a custom. That's the first thing. And secondly, there are regional anthems. So in this country of ours, the United Kingdom, when the UK is represented, it is God Save the King. But, of course, in the Six Nations, what you get are the most wonderful variety of anthems. And interestingly, Northern Ireland's anthem, which they use when Northern Ireland is, you know, football, the World Cup, it's Danny Boy. Is it? Yes. That's the anthem that has been chosen and is sung for Northern Ireland. 
But there are different customs. For example, when you go to a performance of an opera at Wexford Festival in the south of Ireland, a conductor is presented with a score of the Irish National Anthem. Now, before every performance at Wexford Festival of an opera, the whole orchestra plays the National Anthem. That's for the soldier's song, isn't it? Yeah, and, and yeah, we, we must demonstrate some of these. Yes, I want to demonstrate them because all. Because when, when, no, you can't demonstrate them all because there are so many. That, I, I can't think, but the list goes on forever. If you think about the Olympics, yeah. Afghanistan has a wonderful one. But interestingly, we seem to have different customs. So, for example, at the end of a day's broadcasting, if you remember, Radio 4, I think it still does. When Radio 4 goes over to the World Service, it's preceded by the National Anthem. Yes. And the announcer says, good night. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you get the drum roll. And in some places, the first thing you hear on the broadcaster in the morning is the National Anthem. So it's a rather interesting thing how countries choose their national anthems. And, of course, it gets very complicated, and I have no idea. It, you know, I'm sure it's all available out there. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting subject. It's a very beautiful, because some of them are like La Marseillaise, written by Claude-Joseph Rouget de Lille. Come, children of the fatherland, you know, blood, flags flying high. The sang impure, the impure blood. I mean, it's quite sort of militant. And it was, of course, after the French Revolution. Allons, enfants de la patrie, le jour de gloire est arrivé. Contre nous de la tyrannie, l'étendard Funnily enough, Japan's national anthem, Kimi Gayo, was composed by an Irishman before it was rewritten by two Japanese composers. I hope I get the names right. Yoshi Isaoku and Akimori Hayashi. In Kimigayo, the lovely words are, may your reign continue for 8,000 generations until the tiny pebbles grow into massive boulders, lush with moss. Isn't that gorgeous? gentle and a lot of national anthems stretch from sea to shining sea or mountains and ranges and they sort of stretch across and they they're saying territorially this is our land we love our land and we belong to our land we're proud of it and we'll work for our land and so it's just it's interesting to hear the difference land of my father's wales tremendously, you know, Wales, Wales. Well, it isn't. It's sung in Welsh. It's always better sung in Welsh. Land of My Father's, written by Evan James and composed by a man called James James, is always better sung in Welsh, isn't it, Stevie? I think so.
Oh, but what about Scotland's flower of Scotland? Now, that's something <laughs> to bring a tear to your eye. I remember being terribly impressed at some rugby final and Princess Anne knowing every word of that beautiful song and it should also, it. It should always be accompanied by the bagpipes, shouldn't it? Yes. In Scotland, yes, absolutely. Yes. Some Scots would say, oh, come on, not the bagpipes again. But actually the bagpipes are things that across the world, country after country, has pipers now. I don't think they say, let's get rid of the pipes at Burns' suppers, darling. No, they don't. No, of course the ones don't. I've been to, it takes pride of place. It, it surely does. But, but it has moved away largely from warlike, from its attachment to war, hasn't it? And we're nervous about the second verse, aren't we, of, yes. of our... God save the king, be, confounding our enemies and yes, crushing confound, yeah, rebellious that's people right. and so on. Do you know how old that is, though? No, but you're going to tell me. It's 18th century, composed by an organist and organ builder by the name of John Bull. Some countries, I believe, go way back to second, third centuries, way back. Well, for instance, one of the most famous, the Star Spangled Banner, mm. was written in 1814. Yes. And some of the national anthems are militarily inspired. Certainly, some of them are, and normally associated with patriotism and um, troops leaving to go to war. And, and of course, Deutschland über alles, Germany over everything, over all. Do you we know have, where that came from? No, but it's Handel. No, who is it? It's some. No, who it's is Haydn. It? It's Joseph Haydn. Haydn. There's a possibility, too, that Austria's national anthem, the tune they use, is Mozart's. Really? Yes, it's attributed. It's not confirmed. I'm particularly fond of the Italian national anthem by Michele Novaro because... Because you're partly Italian. Well, well, no, well, well a little bit. So I'm bound to be proud at the same time as thinking, oh, my God, that's so Italian. Because of the development of international recognition, most national anthems, not all, but most national anthems have been westernised. Yes, I've noticed that. So take Afghanistan's national anthem, Mili Surud, which was written by Babrak Wasa. That doesn't sound western at all. Although, sadly, I think it's changed since the Taliban took power. Afghanistan, the 
but most of them have been westernized. So they do tend to be played at Formula One, for example, where you get two national anthems, the uh, national anthem for the winner and the national anthem for the constructor. So Mercedes, uh, you know, the German national anthem and Lewis Hamilton. So they, they do that. But they all have to be played by someone in that country. So uh, they do tend to be played in a very westernized hymn-like way. Yes. But the marvelous thing about that is that when you hear an entire stadium, Twickenham or in, in Dublin, when you hear an entire stadium singing these tunes, even the players themselves are forced to join in by the camera going down. <laughs> and you think, oh, no, I wish there was a microphone so that you could tell who, who, you know, it's like the cricketers. <laughs> who is more morose about singing the national anthem? I'm joking, but who is more morose? You know, is it cricketers or rugby players? Why do you think that we have Great Britain's national anthem is God Save the King, but Scotland has separately Flower of Scotland, Wales has separately what we call Land of My Fathers. Why hasn't England got one and what would it be? Well, do you know what we use? We, you, of course you do, Jerusalem. Yes, we do. Jerusalem by, you know, and did those feet in ancient times walk upon England, which is pretty odd. Because well, we like chariots of fire and bring me my bow. Yes, Blake, isn't it? Blake the poet. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but people are quite cross about that because it's Because religious. it's supposed to imply that... It, um, that Jesus, as, Jesus a, as a young in... boy, came to with one of the Josephs of Arimathea or somebody came, sailed over yes. in his teens and, and did his feet step upon England's mountains. Green. Well, we haven't got any mountains, so that's already gone a bit <laughs> elaborate. One of my favourite national anthems, which my dear beloved friend Nadine Garner, who I worked with, an Australian actress. Ah, uh, Advance Australia Fair. No, don't fear. do that voice. Oh, sorry. Because I adore it. Advance Australia Fair. And I think there was a debate in the last 30 years or something about whether Australia should have a different national anthem. And I think they put it up for the vote, and I'm not sure this could be apocryphal, but I think they chose something that I knew every verse of, which was Waltzing Matilda, written by A.B. Patterson, which is one of the great, great songs. It's once a jolly swagman camped by a billabong under the shade of the coolibar tree. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled, who would come a Waltzing Matilda with me. And then down came the squatters mounted on their thoroughbreds. And so this was, he jumped into the lake and his ghost may be heard. There once was a jolly swag camped by a billabong. Under the shade of a coolabar tree And he sang as he watched And waited till his billy boiled You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me Down came a jumbuck to drink. So this is fabulous. It's not about anything at all. It's a sort of fabulous renegade story. And they said, we can't. It's rather like Boaty McBoatface. Oh, no, I was about to say <laughs> <laughs> they said, we simply can't have this as our country. So we went back to Advance Australia Fair. Can I just say that I do find the South African national anthem so overwhelmingly moving. 
It's written by Enoch Sontonga and Martinus Lourence de Villiers. Well, there's something quite interesting. I think they've got 11 formal languages for South Africa. And in the South African national anthem, they use five of them. And they are, the first line is Xosa, I've pronounced that. That's the click, the beautiful mm. click language, which I can't say, but it's kind of Xosa. Then it's Zulu. Then it's Sesotho. Then it's Afrikaans. And then it's English. Amazing. And so the first and the most elegiac, if that's the word, heavenly beginning, which again, I'm, I'm going to pronounce wrong, but it's something Nkosi Sikileli Africa. So, so beautiful. And then it gradually Stunning. goes on to, it changes gear a bit. It sings like that in, in those three African languages. Then it goes into Afrikaans and then it goes into English so that it includes the rainbow nation is including as many people as it can in that. Do you remember I, I was at the World Cup rugby final in Johannesburg when Mandela, mm -hmm. when he, <laughs> he came out wearing a Springbok shirt. Mm. And this was especially moving for me because I'd rehearsed with Mandela's choir out in Soweto for some concerts with Kiri Takanua. And hearing them sing that on that occasion was unearthly. Yeah. And, of course, the result was the one the South Africans wanted. Seeing the New Zealanders do their haka and then hearing this extraordinary national anthem at that time, sung by his personal choir, was, it was unearthly. Yeah. It, it was so powerful. In a way, people shrink from jingoism or nationalism. Nationalism now, it is almost a pejorative term. But the truth of it is, when it's calm and people are simply announcing their pride in where they are and where they live, and hopefully what they stand for, rather than in an aggressive way, I find it very, very moving. And when a stadium is full of two contrasting teams and both national anthems are sung, there's enormous respect for the other national anthem. Mm. It does bind people together. But do you think this is good? Because I've got a sort of, one of my greatest anxieties in life is about tribalism and people saying we're better than you or we're different. But the point about tribalism it, is that there is something good in pride of where you are, where you live, what you call home. Because the idea of homeland as something that you go to war for, and this is very topical, that is dangerous. But actually, we all have a sense of where our common purpose home is, where we feel at home. And there's a natural nice thing about pride. Mm. I mean, when you hear an entire stadium at the Oval singing Jerusalem, and you cannot resist singing it at the <laughs> top of your, at the 
I, 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 uh, look, I mustn't be uncharitable, but at the end of an Ashes series where the result has gone our way and the entire stadium <laughs> stands up and sings Jerusalem, it's quite tear-jerking. We've got, and there's we, nothing nasty about that. We, living in Lambeth, we've got a national anthem here, haven't we? Doing the Lambeth walk. <laughs> and I think I'd like to hear that nice song sung by Robert Lindsay, written by Noel Gay. Anytime you Lambeth way, any evening, any day, you'll find us all doing the Lambeth walk. Oh, every little Lambeth gal with a little Lambeth pal, you'll find them all doing the Lambeth walk. Oi! Everything free and easy. You've been listening to Joanna and the Maestro, a cup and nozzle, burning bright productions and Bauer media show. It's presented by me, Joanna Lumley, and my husband, Stephen Barlow. Our executive producers are Matt Everett, Graham Hodge and Clive Tullow. The show is produced and edited by Hunter Charlton and Ben Tullow. And mix and mastering is by David Bloor. Our head of production is Rebecca Mills. Our production manager is Sarah Anderson. And our production coordinator is Maxim Taylor. All music for the intros is supplied courtesy of Naxos Music UK. In this episode, you heard the following music. Hacker, written by the Maoris of New Zealand. Performed by the All Blacks from New Zealand. The record label was Bandleader Recordings, X5 Music Group. La Marseillaise, written by Claude-Joseph Rouget de Lille and performed by La Tube de Mondial. The record label was Rendezvous Digital. Kimi Gayo, composed by Hiromori Hayashi and performed by Kenji Yamamoto. The record label was Kenji Yamamoto. Land of Our Fathers, written by Evan James and James James, performed by Cormabian Clenelli. The record label was Sane. God Save the King, composed by John Bull, and performed by Catherine Jenkins. The record label was a Decca Classics release. Deutschland Leid, written by August Henrik von Fallers Lieben and Franz Joseph Haydn, performed by the German Choir. The record label was France Productions. Il Canto degli Italiani, written by Michele Novaro and performed by Andre Roux. The record label was SLG LLC. Mili Sarud, written by Babrak Wassa. The publisher was Vidya and the record label was Aryan Records. Jerusalem, written by Hubert Charles Parry and William Blake, performed by the Mast Male Voice Choirs. The record label was Cherry Red Records. Waltzing Matilda by A.B. Patterson, performed by John Williamson. The record label was E-Music Pty Limited. The National Anthem of South Africa, written by E. Sontonga and M. L. de Villiers, performed by Wits Choir. The record label was Wits Choir. The Lambeth Walk, written by Noel Gay and performed by Robert Lindsay and Marianne Plunkett. The publishers were Richard Armitage Limited and Cinephonic Music. The record label was UMG Recordings, Inc. All music for the intro is supplied courtesy of Naxos Music UK.
Mozart's Exultate Jubilate K165, performed by Pretty Coles, Camerata Casovia, and conducted by Johannes Wildner, licensed courtesy of Naxos Music UK Limited. <laughs>